Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with Chief Design Officer for Creative Market, Jaron Lamson. We chat about how Creative Market builds community, how the market for digital assets is evolving, how Creative Market Pro works for both shops and consumers, and why they decided to enter this market, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South Podcast listeners 15% off all orders, over $25, when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South Podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South Podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Jaron, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm super excited to talk to you. So let, let's, I, I guess for people who don't know you, let, let's give the brief background of who you are and, and who you work for. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jaron Lamson. Uh, I'm the Chief Design Officer at Creative Market uh, based out of Austin, Texas. Uh, Creative Market is the world's marketplace for design, place for design assets, by and for designers. I've uh, been working there for over six years now and uh, been in the industry for seems like 15 years or so at this point. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm curious as, as, as a chief design officer, what your role role is there and what, what exactly are you doing? Because, you know, from what people see of creative market, it's assets that other people are making and putting up. So, you know, you're not necessarily doing that, but what, what are you overseeing? Yeah, so I've been here just about near from the beginning, and uh, my roles evolved over time. For the first few years, I was definitely doing uh, both brand and product work in the trenches with designers that we were hiring and staffing up on the team. Um, but at this stage, I'm not I'm not in the work anymore. Um, so I'm guiding and leading the design team's efforts. That's both brand and product. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the brand side, we also manage the curation layer for shops and promoting goods, free goods, bundles, handpicked email newsletters, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And on the product side, we also have a layer of uh, UX research there. Uh, and I'm also part of the leadership team. So actively helping steward and guide where we take the company and what we're doing. Cool. So for people who aren't familiar with how creative market works, let's give a little background on that and then we'll kind of dive into the history of creative market yeah so when we originally approached the idea of making a marketplace for design assets there was some history there um you know aaron and darius and chris were building tools in the color space for the wider creative community they were apps and communities around color Mm -hmm. Uh, color schemer and color lovers were those those projects and so we were familiar with sort of the need and appetite for creative material by a wide audience, a wide range of people. Um, and they decided to move into the asset space. We we're looking at things more patterns first. And then it became really apparent that if you could put together a single place where you have all these different design asset types, that something really special might, might come about there. Um, so 
at a certain point, um, we started working on the MVP, the minimum viable product, um, and I came into the story and uh, we knew that we wanted to capture categories and merge them together, uh, fonts, templates, graphics, add-ons. We wanted to do something that hadn't been done before by putting all these different asset types in one place and setting a really high bar of quality. We reached out to designers to join to be creators or shop owners. Um, we wanted to make sure that the quality was really high because sure. you know, in the stock industry, the word stock just sounds so bad when you hear it. It's, it's um, the old guard. It's things that don't feel like they're very usable or they're stale. So we wanted things to always feel fresh and high quality. And that was always part of the intention and mission from the beginning. Um, but really, we started off um, as a uh, by designers, for designers um, marketplace. And it grew pretty quickly into something pretty much different than that, where lots of different people were finding value. Lots of people were coming out of the woodworks and trying their hand at making assets and selling them. So it turned into something pretty special early on. It's been growing ever since in a lot of different and interesting ways. Gotcha. When you were first, you know, starting things up and and growing it and deciding what assets you wanted to use and what you know how you were curating things, what was, you know, was there like a hard line of, well, we're not gonna do this, but we can definitely do this. And then things just kind of worked in because it's, I mean, there, there's such a broad variety of stuff that can go on there, but it's still, it it's still, I guess niches down mm-hmm. really well. How, how were you guys deciding on that curation? So the way in which we curate is we, we, we trust people. We want to trust people. So they submit to open a shop. And then we, if they get in, then we don't want to do a per product repro- approval. Sure. That's just very cumbersome. It doesn't engender trust. It, it doesn't send the right it's signals. It's a pain in the and ass so, for y'all. <laughs> well, that too, for sure. But, um, you know, if people are adults and they're smart and they're professional, you have to think that 90% of the time that's going to go well if you let in good talent. And so, what we the beauty of it was what we saw is yes when we launched there were certain trends that were very strong and they reflected the core professional design community what was happening at that time with web with skeuomorphism with mm-hmm. trends in print and all that kind of stuff and just over time as the trends have changed and new ones have popped up out of nowhere it's been a really interesting thing to watch as the community has brought new things to the table that we couldn't even really imagined and sort sure. of popped up new you're, you're mentioning niches in the industry that just sort of come out of nowhere and been very successful. And there have been people making tens of thousands of dollars off of them and driving trends and changes in other parts of the industry off of the website too. So that's been really fascinating to watch. And I don't know if it has so much anything to do with what we do and more of people talking, what people are doing themselves and experimenting and trying things and then customers seeing and getting value out of those things and they're really taking off. So it's been, it's been a little magical on mm-hmm. that side of the marketplace. As, as things grow, how do you, you know, at, at a certain point there's, I don't want to say there's got to be a cutoff, but there's got to be a determining factor. Cause I remember early on my wife and I applied for a shop and this was, uh Oh, <laughs> Oh no, no, no. We got in. I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm good. Okay, I'm, there's, good. there's no complaints on my end. <laughs> um, now granted, this is on us complaints on on us we have not done a great job of putting a ton of stuff up just because you know life gets in the way but we do make an eff- and we're we're making more of an effort to get more product and things like that ready however when you're starting off it seemed and this is from me talking to friends who have recently gone in and tried to open a shop and they've you know it's taken them a couple times to get accepted how what were determining factors of you know how you approve someone and how you didn't approve someone when it came to these just overall shop level yeah so i would say i mean first and foremost for anyone listening like we want everyone to get in and try their hand at this right like, right it it's it's exciting the spirit of it is entrepreneurial it's a big opportunity and if you put your hand in it and some things take off like it can be very meaningful. Um, sure. Well, early and, and on, not to interrupt, but the reason I asked that yeah, question is is more of a to help people who have maybe gotten turned down of 
how they can tweak their stuff or how they can, you know, what, what goals they can do to resubmit to give them a better leg forward to get it right. Yeah, I can totally go through some of that too. Um, it's so insider <laughs> secrets, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, early on we wanted the the curation gates to be wider open. We needed as a two sided two sided marketplace. You need to fill both sides. You need sure. customers and you need shops bringing stuff to the table, and we needed both as quickly as we could get them. But as you know, quality is really important to us. So I say the gates were a little bit more wide open. Um, you know, it, these days. Um, we still care about people that look like they're up and comers having a real chance, mm-hmm. um, not only of getting in, but putting stuff out there Well, they'll make sales. And so I'd be curious who your friends are and the things that they submitted, because I'd love to support them in getting in. Um, but a lot of times I think people have some difficulty with thinking through, I, I'm going to submit this application. Here's some examples of what I might make and sell. And if those things are of any sort of, moderate design quality, then there's a really good chance they're going to get through because mm-hmm. we're, we're just looking mostly for potential and also making sure that we're protecting the front door against fraud and piracy. But more than anything else, um, there, there's a pretty low baseline. You know, um, when we were talking earlier about the old guard in the stock industry, like people know what bad stock looks like. And so oh, yeah. we don't want the bar to be super high, but we want people to come in with some ambition and talent and some examples of what they're thinking of doing. Cause you got to put in the work. It's, it, yeah. it's a lot of work to put really nice stuff together. And the people that have gotten some early success, you can tell they're putting in three times more now than they did even in those early examples. And mm-hmm. so um, the expectations are, are high and the anxiety is high of whether or not you're going to get in. But um, for all intents and purposes, um, any designer with some amount of chops like has a really good shot of, of opening a shop. We're not curating really hard as if everyone's going to come out of the gate with amazing stuff. Some of the most successful people now, if you go back and look at their first product, you can you can date it and look at it. It's not great. And so mm-hmm. there's some really interesting success stories of people being kind of like early in their career, not knowing what to put together and display well, and then learning very quickly over you know, three, six, 12 months uh, and really making some meaningful income from this stuff. Gotcha. As, as, as creative market grew and you got started getting competition from other, um, asset shops. Um, I'm, I, I don't know why I just blanked on the five that I had thought of before this, but, um, like I'm mean, Gumroad's kind of a competitor. They've got a very different model though. Um, but sites like that, how did you how did creative market go about differentiating themselves and and still remaining competitive yeah well i think early on a lot of the decisions we made on the business model really helped it be competitive out of the gate you know it was um non-exclusive it was a 70 70 30 cut it was really in the favor of creators Mm -hmm. um Back then, the product and the brand were pretty, pretty on the, uh, pretty progressive on the forefront of of what was happening in the industry. Um, but over time, competitors pop up. Um, they might be multi category competitors. They might be just a single category competitor, like a font bundle site or mm-hmm. a template bundle site or something like that. So over time, these different things have eroded a bit of what we started off with. But um, I mean, all all in all. Um, We've done a. I think we've done a pretty good job on the community side, really caring about people and putting people first. And we continue to have those conversations on a daily and weekly basis inside the team of how to keep doing that and even double down in it, mm-hmm. double doubling down on that. And I think that is in itself a differentiator where e-commerce and digital file transferring can feel like such a cold place. Um, we're connecting people together and their creativity and their potential. And um, if we can keep people first, both customers and shops first through everything we're doing, I think we're automatically going to be continue to be competitive. What are, what are some efforts you guys have put forward to, to do that? Oh man, it's the list is long. Um, <laughs> I mean, on the shop side, well, so yeah, on the shop side, we've been listening and talking to a range of shops, not only high performers, but new ones and underperformers three, three and a half, four years for a very long time. 
Same is true on the customer side, trying to figure out what they need, um, listening to their needs, and then having that work show up not only in those roadmaps of the product features we're building. That's important. People see that and they see when we release things. They see when we communicate to them through emails with blog posts of what we're releasing. Um, but you know, for a long time and still even true today, they can get in touch with anyone on the team or they can, they might get impacted and see someone on the team leave a comment on a new product page and Mm-hmm. that that's that's special i mean you don't you don't have a lot of places on the internet where that's happening um a lot and we're constantly trying to make sure we're doing more of that because we genuinely care about the effort that people are putting in and if you have that personal connection you're making with them if you're showing them appreciation if you're saying here's some resources of how to improve um or great to see you back after a year or two glad to see you uploading some new things those things matter to people. Um, it might not be the cash from the sales they're making immediately, but sure. in, in and of itself, it's its own reward and validation that they're putting in effort and it's being noticed. So we do that. Um, we do user research around everything we do to make sure we're building the right things for people. We listen to them. We're making decisions that might change the business model, stuff like that. Um, so we try to, across the board, we have our ear to the ground and are trying to create relationships with this community as much as possible. Well, so you said something there that that really struck me because it, it's you, you've got say you versus like Envato. Envato okay. is this <laughs> very cold. You go there, it's a shop. It doesn't. There's no personality to it. It's it's it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like it's a site made up of individual shops and individual sellers and things like that. It feels much like you said that that old school of stock that you've got to search through. And then you've got you guys who have found an interesting way to take what you're doing and build community around it. How, you know, how are some of the ways that you guys have worked with? I can't think of another word, but how are some of the ways that you guys have worked on actually building community? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer because um, a certain part of me wants to think you really can't build community unless people want to connect with each other without sure, your sure. involvement. Um, but like I was saying before, we really just have like a people first mentality, shops first, customers first, our team first. Um, mm-hmm. And the people will come if they experience or know that or have any sort of interface with it and you know we we want people to connect together i mean to say we have a community on an e-commerce site is pretty interesting to me um Mm -hmm. they are talking they are engaging um but that's also a bit of the nature of this industry it's hard to be creative it's hard to figure out what to make it's hard to understand what a workflow is for a creative or a design project it's uh Difficult to try your hand at being a shop on creative market. You need, might need to talk to other shops um, and be successful there. So in terms of building community early on, we valued that. We want to be close to people's experience. We want to try to positively impact as much as possible. We want them. We want to see them helping each other. We want, you know, if all the information, if all the education, all the support came from just our team, it's not enough. I mean, we have 26,000 shops at this point um, and over 4 million customers in the ratio, the math doesn't add up, right? Sure, Being sure. a team of 37, 38. So uh, it's about trying to create a place where people feel safer and supported, or at least the ability to find some safety and support and to not just look to our team just for that, but also look to each other. So part of it's just like, there's a lot of great people in the design industry and it, we're lucky that they want to interact and support each other on our property. And we hope some of that stems from just how we're trying to build a business with integrity that's focused on on people first. Gotcha. As as creative market has evolved, what are some of the things that surprised you most in the changes you implemented based on data? Like things that you wouldn't have predicted as being important to people in the community. That's a really good question. Um, You know, I think, especially on the shop owner side, the content's theirs, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it is the brand experience of creative market for all intents and purposes. The things that my team does to support and surround that are more gentle and supportive than, than heavy handed. 
Uh-huh. So the thing that surprised me a lot is people feeling so much ownership of how it's displayed and wanting us to keep pushing that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shouldn't have been surprising, but it is. You, you know, if you spend, say, 10 to 20 hours on a week or two for a, a particular design asset and then launch it sure. um, with mixed results, hopefully better results up front, but sometimes it takes time for, for sales to start happening. You're going to care a lot about trying to get into the promotional programs of Creative Market. You're going to care a lot about pushing on the design team or the Creative Market team to try to change the product page display to something better and more competitive because you see it being done on other sites, uh, maybe in better, more competitive ways. So um, what's really surprised me is that everyone's, a lot of people are mindful and aware of how they're presenting their material and also wanting to know how to change it, make it better Mm -hmm. to meet the needs of customers or even make it more appealing to people to even come look at it. So there's no shortage of things that we can do, both education, marketing, product wise to help facilitate and support that. Um, I've also just been really surprised people's expectations with passive income from digital files. uh, A lot of times it's different than what their actual experience is. I mean, sure. You put something up and you might end up having a ton of support you need to give people around that that you didn't anticipate. And that's going to eat up your time from your day job if you have one or the ability to make more products and put it up. So um, the experience is 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 different than I think people know going into it. And mm-hmm. that's surprised me as someone who's put stuff together and, and tried my hand at selling stuff and has a, a little bit of a sense of what the shop owners are going through and also what the customers are going through. You go to buy something, you see some beautiful screenshots, you open it up and like, I don't know how to use this. What is this? And, um, <laughs> I've downloaded that a few is, of those packs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and honestly, as a company, solving that problem is very challenging given that all the content's user generated. So that's constantly surprising us and uh, we're constantly adjusting to try to figure out how to solve for it, if it is even solvable to meet the expectations of shops and customers engaging with, with what we've built here. Sure. As, as things grow, how do you see the market overall changing? So it has, it has been changing um, for the last five plus years. It's been online. Most of it has been around, like I mentioned, trends of content along the way we opened a photos category that added some new dynamics. We've added some, other subcategories and some other features that have made some some interesting behavioral changes. But um, all in all, like how how it's connected to the rest of the industry has probably been the most interesting to, thing to watch of what's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, we what what has the external changes that are happening. You can work from anywhere. You can be an entrepreneurial. Everyone can do some sort of level of creative or design work. Those things that the democratization. Um, the decentralization of design have made some impacts on us and we've made some impacts on it, I think, um, that are really interesting and worth watching still. Um, You know, we think about just how broad all the different types of users are that are getting value out of content on creative market. That's people that never even thought they'd be able to design something or they bought some fonts and they made something in PowerPoint or some, or Microsoft Word or something, something you and I would never do. Sure. And so, People have adapted to really lowbrow methods and really poor visuals and to be able to come in and see some really amazing stuff and figure out how to use it, maybe with some education and support, maybe with without, we're constantly seeing that just that increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to know how to tap into that more and facilitate that and support that happening with lots of different people. Gotcha. What, what, are, what are some of your current efforts to kind of facilitate those changes? Um, so we've definitely done a lot more educational efforts. Um, we always have a blog that's um, churning out some really great content. A lot of it can skew educational. Um, we, we've, we've produced some eBooks that have been very helpful as well. Um, a lot of it comes down to um, people's willingness to kind of endure some pain to figure out how to use the thing and get to the <laughs> end value point. And sometimes they're just reaching out directly to the shop and are like, I downloaded this you said these things in this way on the product page or gave us tutorial. I got stuck. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about community, I think um, what's organically happening is people seeking help from each other a lot. Um, and 
you know, it, there's only so much we can do to foster that, but trying to help people get to an end result faster is definitely top of mind of our team as we keep thinking about what to build next. Sure. Um, you know, speaking of what to build next, you guys recently launched the, um, basically a pro shop. Um, how did, where did that idea come from and, and how did it, how did it germinate over the course of, uh, starting up? Yeah, so we've seen in tech that there have been lots of different products that have been um, turned into subscription models. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also have noticed that in our user base, we do have a segment of professional designers, whether they're freelancers or people working in in in-house teams, agencies, startups, that kind of thing. Um, And in everything that we've done, we've, we've noticed that on the professional side, there's just a different level of need that that exists there. Mm-hmm. So we decided to go after that with Creative Market Pro. Um, and it ranges from everything like, we need t- I need team accounts. I've got three designers working with me. We all want to get in on this. Um, I don't want to be bothered with transactions. I, I just want to you know pay a monthly fee and, and set it and forget it and have downloads. So you know a lot of the stock industry moved to subscription model years ago. Sure. You think of the, the, the photo... Um, behemoths out there and what hasn't been done a lot is having multiple categories in a subscription model and really we we hope to be serving those agencies and in-house teams with this product yeah okay when when you built that though you also opened up pro shops for selected users um right. and, and shop owners how how did that come about because i can like i I can definitely see the logic of going from, you know, A to B of, you know, a subscription model is great. I mean, it's great for business. It's great for the end user who has to download a lot of stuff instead of having to buy credits every five minutes or every time they download stuff. But I, I'm wondering how the the pro level shop user part came about. Yeah, so, I mean, without the shops and their content, I mean, there wouldn't be a subscription model. Sure. So we knew, we knew early on that we wanted it. We wanted creative market pro to be curated. Um, there's a, a high bar of quality that professional designers expect in their particular categories of assets that they probably get more value out of than others. Mm-hmm. And so we, part of the strategy early on was to figure out, well, you know, which of our, our high performing shops or shops that have quality content, um, are interested in participating in this. And there's, there's a couple hundred right now um, to create that value for professional designers and a different pay model and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, without them, we wouldn't have Creative Market Pro. And mm-hmm. they're willing to put you know, some products in specific categories or their whole shops catalog, whatever it was, into this thing to come along the ride for this experiment um, because it, there's a different way to reach this audience that... Uh, that this product's targeting and uh, we're lucky to have them join us in this venture. There really aren't a lot of cross category marketplaces that have turned into a subscription model like this. Sure. Um, like you're probably familiar with Envato elements. Yeah. I mentioned, mentioned the other older ones, but um, really wanted to do it the creative market way. And we, we have a lot of trust and support from shops because we've just been dumping so much trust and support and, and uh, relationship time with them that, uh, yeah, they're they're along for the ride, and we're going to see what it all means together. Gotcha. I'm I'm curious how you curate those pro level shops because you have you have shops that are doing a lot of business. You've got people like Ian Bernard and Lisa Glanz and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But from a you know from my standpoint of working in house um, at at an engineering firm. While I, I and I mentioned Lisa and Ian because I've talked with both of them, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're you know and, awesome. and, and, and like I'm buddies with Dustin Lee and stuff as I name drop there. That's great, um, <laughs> but you know you, you you've got people like that who are doing a lot of business on Creative Market and and putting a lot of stuff out there. But say Lisa specifically. You know, she mm-hmm. makes cute bunny drawings and things like that. And and for me, working in an engineering firm, that's not going to be the type of stuff that is is my go to. I'm not going right. to 
need a lot of that, but you know, like icons and systems like that, and possibly even presentation templates or stuff like that would be from a business standpoint, more of what I would use. How, how did you guys determine those curations of what would be great for the, for that pro level market? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we talk about professional designers, the types of places they work in the industries they serve are pretty diverse. I mean, sure. I work in tech. You just told me what you work in. Yeah. When we think pro, we think a lot of the maybe product design based assets people might need. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about a lot of industries like churches, the medical industry, food and beverage, entertainment, okay. the level of creativity and diversity that they need is going to be way different than things that like maybe you and I need. And mm-hmm. so, you know, at the risk of being a little bit more of a catch-all bucket subscription, including a diversity of creativity to serve lots of different people, um, we knew that pro designers are all over the map right? sure, with, sure. with their needs. Um, but I know there is that stigma when you think pro designer, like wireframes, user flows, icons, product design, web, mm. that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of the industry is headed there, but there's it's such a there's such a wide range. I mean, think about agencies and all the different clients across the industries they serve. Right. There's any number of styles and executions they're going to need to make some sort of one-off campaign. So we were thinking about it through that lens a little bit too. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, now that you put it that way, yeah, I can definitely see uh, churches, especially around Easter time, wanting a lot of bunny illustrations to for the kids to come in and stuff like that. And okay, <laughs> that makes more sense. Um, you know, so much of y'all's industry is revolves around the data side of things of being able to take all this analytical information and then relay it back and output something that is geared for for lack of a better word a creative market <laughs> you mm-hmm. know how 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 do y'all balance that translation cuz that's you know, obviously there's, you know, sales numbers and things like that, but there's, there's other demographics and and analytics that go into making all that up. How does that, how does that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a full analytics stack and we have a data science team um, that we're building in house too, but um, people come, you know, again, from all walks of life and are looking for different things. And um, we're looking at what they search you know, mm-hmm. across both Creative Market and Creative Market Pro, what things they're liking, collecting. I mean, there's all, all the different features have everything plugged up. Um, so it's more of their actions are just happening to us. And we're seeing where the, you know, statistical significant, you know, trends are. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just kind of more on the receiving end of everything that's happening. I'm not, I'm not following the the, the question 100%. No, no, no. That I mean, I, I, I get where it's going. I understand that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just curious because you know you do track all that information, and then you've got to turn all that, all those numbers and very tech heavy stuff around, and be able to translate that back to a creative community of people who don't think in that mindset. So, and and you've got this team internally that's built up of, there's a lot of analytical people and there's a lot of creative people. And how internally are you guys communicating to be able to build that correctly? Yeah. um, I know that was extremely rambling. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, it's, uh, I always look at it this way. Um, Designs in the middle of, the intersection of trying to find value for users and mm-hmm. value for the business. And so it's a dance, right? When you see certain trends in data or you get qualitative insights of people's behaviors or what they're telling you, and you have to turn that into some decisions and product and brand work, it's challenging. It's hard to, hard to get that right. You know, we, we do a pretty good job as a team of, of having internal team members be stakeholders in a lot of the work we do. You know, we have, uh, Shops relation manager and Kelly Johnson, who's involved with a lot of product work. 
especially when it relates to shops. We have an SEO manager, Emily, who's involved with stuff. So there are different people in, in the company who have these areas of specialization and they're also able to pipe up and say, consider these things or you're not thinking through these dynamics. And so beyond just the data, the whole team really rallies around how to narrow in on the thing we should actually be building um, for just about every project that we work on. So it's really always a group effort. We do consider the data. We look at analytics, um, but there's always multiple uh, data points, multiple pieces of information coming together to make those decisions and, and be mindful of the consequences of when you don't get something right. You know? Sure. Well, and that, that so that kind of led into what I was curious about is when you get something wrong um, and it happens, I mean, it's, it's a business. It, I think if, if you're right a hundred percent of the time, you're um, either doing something highly illegal or you are the luckiest people on the face of the earth. Um, but wh- how do you guys correct course and, and adjust and, and use that feedback that you've gotten where, because the numbers don't always tell the truth. If, mm. the, if that makes sense, like you may be seeing, you know, a spike in downloads for something and it just happens to be a one-off month long trend. And, but it, it, you know, it, it steer, it skews data in a way that isn't correct for your, whether it's, it's the, the shop owners or the, you know, customers who are buying stuff from shops. How do you guys, correct course at that point yeah if i'm if i'm reading between the lines correctly are you saying are these things impacting the algorithm for the homepage and the email blast and all that kind of stuff i mean we're certainly always um refining those things to make sure that it's a blend we we always want there to be opportunity for up-and-comers we want as much as possible to spread the wealth of sales around for lack of better reference but um anytime that we've been wrong or we immediately see that we made a misstep we try to be very transparent. We have a history. I mean, you can find some things in the blog where like we made a mistake and we're working to listen and try to correct it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that level of honesty and transparency, I think people have found that really refreshing. And it's honestly kind of one of the only things you can do in that position is say, we messed up. We're we're ready to listen. Let's take everyone's feedback who, who uh, this affected and try to navigate a decision where it, um, it works well for everyone. And, um, the more that we're transparent without about our intentions where things aren't going well and plans and passion and intention and resource to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just gains trust that this is a, it, it's a good place that people want to do business and they want to stick around on. And so we've been really mindful of that and try to have that attitude with every new situation that comes up. Mm-hmm. Sure. As, as, as you go forward and you know, you, you've got hits and misses and things like that. And, and you're, you're building on all of those learning experiences from that. Uh, what are, what are some future trends that you guys have seen that, that you can talk about that that are exciting? Um, well, within the asset industry space, I think it's things that we've all been watching and noticing all together. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, things like color fonts, um, you know, when SVGs became a big thing with icons, like a lot of the trends stem from the industry, the design industry and the needs there, because those needs, whether it's freelancers or in-house teams or agencies or whatever it is, marketers are stemming from changes in business due to changes in tech. And so sure. it's kind of like a ripple downstream. Um, I mean, the most exciting thing is what we're all been talking about, that there, there are going to be greater changes coming from, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, AR, VR, Mm -hmm. um, all these new pieces of tech where designers don't really know where they're going to land and what kind of impact they're going to have. I mean, we're seeing some early things, right? Voice recognition, all this kind of stuff. And so to think about how those changes in the industry's influence and map to the asset space is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how to directly correlate uh, impact there yet because a lot of assets are they're they're the surface right of design they are the visual side they're the top of the iceberg and ux and all the mechanics are everything beneath and a lot of times those aren't based in assets so we're kind of also watching and trying to figure out what it all means right now too 
Yeah. Well, I'm curious about that because you mentioned, you know, AR and VR and voice recognition stuff and, and, and how that can possibly play into what you guys are doing. How, I, cause all that stuff is still in its infancy really. And, and, yeah. you know, what, I guess let's pick one. Let's go with voice recognition with, <laughs> you know, cause I think everybody got a Google home for Christmas um, <laughs> with the exception of me and my wife. Cause uh, I think there's enough conspiracy theorists in us that we were terrified of everything listening to us all the time. <laughs> when you, when you have a conversation yeah. in the middle of target about uh, the things that you need and you get home and you there's Facebook ads for the things you just talked about, you know, like it's a little scary, um, but I'm I'm curious <laughs> as how you would see something like that translating into what y'all do. Um, where I don't even know where to go from there, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll try to pick it up. Um, I guess it depends. It depends on the needs of customers. So when you think about like think about this as an example. Are there teams out there that would need raw words or alphabets being spoken by someone as video assets to buy that and piece together sentences and responses for um, uh, voice design work like a, a Siri or an Alexa? Mm-hmm. Um, it's still yet to be seen. A lot of some of the high-tech uh, work in these areas, those teams specialize and have the talent in-house to make the things they need. And so they might not even impact the asset industry or that might, you know, change greater parts of tech and be like, well, actually people aren't doing, you know, this is a crazy example, but add on work anymore. They're not doing Photoshop brushes because of voice recognition. I don't know why that came up with that example, but um, it, it's just interesting to watch where this stuff's headed and what sure. it might mean for us. And part of the challenge is a chicken and egg problem too. If, there was a demand for these type of assets in any of these uh, forefront fields. You have to find shops who know how to make it or have passion to and are, are willing to take the chance of making some things early mm-hmm. and us opening up the right categories and promoting it in the right way um, and not making sales up front, making that investment to then maybe it pay off later. So a lot of it comes down to bets that someone's going to start making some consumer hardware and everyone's going to be on the trend and then teams are building stuff around it. And, oh, there's early assets over here on creative market for that. So um, some of them are just wild rides that um, our team and or our, our shop owner base may or may not um, jump on, but it's still yet to be seen. A lot of the the stuff's early, so sure, yeah, it's hard to tell. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I saw somebody put something up asking about if you could. I don't even remember what it was, and I don't know the tech language well enough to speak to it intelligently. But it was basically, can you create a custom script for Alexa to, you know? read to somebody if they ask about xyz and i was like you know how would how do you build that out that seems like a you know at the moment more of a fiverr market sort of thing just in the well i mean if you want a custom script you could get somebody to read it or write it but as a as a you know as a design asset or something like that i'm not sure how that would play into things at the moment well, that's a good example, too, of why I think the asset side of the industry is never going to overtake the need for professional designers you know, in the practice. I mean, there's too many complexities to build something like that or even to research around it to say, like, you can buy a one, you know, a kit for one and done and you're plugging it in and you're done. That usually shows up a little bit later. It's always later in the life cycle of these, these forefronts. But there's so many changes that I just think we're going to keep seeing the practice of design living and breathing and growing mm. and the asset stuff fall behind where it makes sense for it to start popping up based upon demand. Um, not to replace the workers putting those hours in and getting paid for that, that sort of service, but uh, sort of following more in the footsteps, I would say. Sure. And usually following much further bef- behind than right up close. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, I, I think with, there's so many new emerging technologies that, it, it's hard to keep up with everything and you know at with your all's curation there's got to be a certain point where you're just like i don't think this is the market for us we're not going to worry about this and you know stay out of that level too yeah i mean it, it depends if, if there looks like an opportunity we can we can go for it if it's 
the further away it is from TD design assets, which is sort of the wheelhouse of what of our, all of our categories are today, um, the more work there's going to be around like building that up and sort of making product market fit with an individual category. If we start seeing, you know, marketplaces pop up on product hunt in different places for this stuff and those are, are gaining traction, then that's a good indicator. Maybe we're even late at that point, but uh, it's it's challenging out there to keep up with emerging tech, as you said. Yeah. So, you know, as 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 the product grows and gets further along, as we're talking about, how do you how do you draw lines of this is something that we're willing to explore? This is something that we know is not in in the realm of things that we're even considering. So I guess it comes down to opportunity cost. Sure. Um, if you have a bucket of 30 or 50 ideas and the thing that you're describing, say we're trying to get into an emerging tech piece. Yeah. Is, are people going to like seeing that from us or trust it? Or is it going to take off versus us doing other known things? There might be more known quantities that seem like more natural next steps that the community would expect. I don't know. Maybe we take some of those riskier choices. Um, but with our team of 38 and hopefully we keep adding more people to the team, you have to pick and choose um, what to focus on. And so we don't get to pick 10 things at a time. We get to pick three or four maybe. Sure. Um, so yeah, that's one way to look at it. Sure. As, as we're kind of getting close to our time, I want to kind of go back into what we were talking about at the beginning with, you know, shop owners and customers and things like that. And if we can just do kind of a quick wrap up of, I guess pointers of what makes this a what what what's the best most surefire way to get your shop accepted right away aside from you know <laughs> don't don't do what uh, I, I will give away what one friend of mine did is he submitted for a shop but didn't have anything to like to show because he just he wanted to get a shop but he hadn't created anything yet so he got turned down. Now he went back and you know had stuff to show and get accepted right away then, but. <laughs> so you're looking for more more of the insider tips, huh? Yeah, the insider <laughs> tips. I mean, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. people will stick I mean, around to the end, and that's that's uh, a little bonus <laughs> for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, if anyone has any sort of portfolio or body of work, whether it's their freelance, pro a mix of freelance products or just their agency work or anything like that. That's a great baseline, right? If you, if you've been practicing for a year or two, a couple years, whatever it is, you have some personal passion projects, whatever you can show that shows you understand how to put things together and you have a, some sort of baseline, moderate level of design taste. Mm -hmm. That's a great starting point. If you say in the application, I want to make fonts, but I don't know how to yet. Um, or have some templates from something a client killed. I think I can retrofit them and sell them here, stuff like that. Um, we just want to see inclinations of that. If you haven't made the font yet, but you want to, then show us a sample of what that might potentially look like. Not the whole thing built out, because obviously you've already made the investment and you're ready to apply and simultaneously launch the things. And that's best case scenario. Sure. But a lot of people are in that position. And so um, we need to see an idea about people's capability and it doesn't have to be incredible stellar work. It's definitely a plus when you see that come through. <laughs> we would prefer that. <laughs> sure. Preferred. And the team shares it with each other and like, look at this and like coming out of the gate strong and stuff like that. But that, that doesn't mean that they don't have necessarily a better chance than anyone else coming in the marketplace and having one or two samples and needing a month or two to get their stuff together to then put it up on the marketplace. Um, so it comes down to, visually showing some things and communicating why, why you want to sell. Like, why do you want to try your hand at digital assets and maybe even the path, the steps you're going to take to start putting stuff up there. So basic things as if you're getting a, a job, but less pressure than getting a job. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Hopefully less pressure than getting a job. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we really, we want people to get in. Like our intention is to prove as many people as possible. We just need to see evidence that, they have good intentions and that they have something that people might potentially look at and want to buy. Like th those are the easiest ways to describe it. Yeah. Gotcha. What do you think makes a successful shop? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, endurance. Um, 
you know, we were talking a lot about quality and teaching yourself new skills and trying to jump into different categories and try your hand at something else or uh, spending a good amount of time showing customers what they might use that product for with the screenshots um, as like a way to market and show them, oh, that's a cool font. Oh, they use it in this like restaurant branding suite. Well, I've got this like brewery project coming up. Like I can, I think I can kind of get a sense of what I can do there. Um, trying to raise your own quality game uh, and then spending the time afterwards to put it out there in different places to even consider other tactics like putting video tutorials out there about how to use it, how to apply it. Um, there's extra work behind the act of actually making the product itself. Um, you know, it, it can be uh, a little bit of uh, a, a bummer. you like, I, I spent five or 10 hours building this template or mock-up or font. Oh, I need to spend another two to five hours putting the screenshots together. Oh, I've launched it. No one's looking at it or it's not doing as well. Like I now need to do some marketing and some education and outreach and different things like that. It's work. And so endurance would be the number one thing and trying to always raise the the quality bar. would be number two. Yeah. I I think that touches on what I was going to ask you next is what, what do you think is the biggest misnomer that people have about passive income? It's hard. I mean, it, it's planting <laughs> seeds, right? Yeah. It's, there's no it's silver not bullet. Passive. Now, <laughs> well, that it's not, it's not as passive. It takes a lot of love and sure. care. I mean, it's like making a garden. It's like, if you don't care for it, it's not going to do so well. And you have to do some research up front about what you might plant and how you might uh, go about it. But I mean, there are some people that I'm not going to lie, have gained some really good fast success early on. Maybe they've already built an audience from their writing or their career or something else online and they shift into this and they leverage that. Um, but yeah, I, it, it really comes down to people being passionate to, to stick with it. You know, that, that fire that people have to spin up personal passion projects, learn lettering, get into other crafts and do that at night on weekends for your boring web agency job, stuff like that. If they turn that to this and do some research and learn some things and talk to other shops that have done well, that are willing to help people like Dustin and others mm -hmm. like that. Um, there's a good chance that that it could do well and, and they don't have to just do well just on creative market. We're still happy for them if they're able to make sales and income from it in other places. And I think that's uh, a testament to how we think about this this team and this this platform. It's, it's We're sharing in, in a, a pool that we're making design more accessible. Mm. And it doesn't just mean just creative market is the only the only company in that story. Yeah. For, for people who are marketing their products th through creative market... What are some of the better ways that you it, that you've seen people approach it? Maybe not. I don't mean better as in oh, that's a really cool idea, but just in the more successful ways. Um. Well, certainly, if you're shopping multiple categories, it's really interesting for you to mix your own products together. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you're selling fonts and chalk brushes or watercolor textures or patterns and mixing those together. Um, okay. People come to creative market to be inspired by the screenshots of the products that they may or may not buy. You know, in a way it's a, a bit like dribble in that way. Um, so the more that you can do to give people ideas of things that they can do with the work, um, the better. And there's no, there's no ceiling there for the quality of what you can do with your screenshots. It's mostly a time issue, right? Mm -hmm. How much time are you willing to spend to try this, not knowing whether or not it's going to increase someone's perception? I mean, within what, what is it? There was a, let me see here. There was a Google research study that said within you know, the first 50 milliseconds of perception, someone's decided whether or not they're going to have a positive impression or like something, or maybe even intend to purchase it. That it's a very short amount of time sure. to convince someone there's something interesting here and I need to dig in more and see the other samples. So um, it comes down to being creative with the creative material. It, it's, it's meta, <laughs> you know, it's, there's yeah. no ceiling. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in your six years there, has there been a product that came across the desk that you just like, it immediately just dropped your job, how different or, or how, good it was without naming any yeah. names of playing favorites too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, more times than not, those that have come through that have done that for me have had some other layers baked into them that make them really compelling. 
Um, they're more than just a singular font. They're more than, oh, that's a creative idea. They're like, oh, it comes in multiple formats and you can tweak it in these ways. It's almost like a mini app itself, whether mm-hmm. it's add-ons where you click a button and it, I don't know, creates like your face in the matrix or I don't know, you imposes you in a Star Wars scene. I'm just making stupid stuff up, but things <laughs> that, that were like, whoa, that would have taken someone 20 hours of time and now someone can go run a Fortune 500 ad campaign off of it and build it in 10 hours. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Um, so things that have been more in the uh, color font area, multi-font families where you can layer things on top of each other. Um, some of the actions that I was mentioning you could run have been really interesting. Product mock-ups, the, the explosiveness of what happened in that category. Um and every once in a while, there's something that comes out where it's like, ooh, that's a game changer. I mean, I can't name things specifically. I was collecting them somewhere. I'd have to go back and find it. <laughs> I didn't have it open. But sure. uh, that's been really cool. So seeing people get really creative and go deep on their idea, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big bet for how much time they're putting into it. But knowing if they present it in the right way and some people are like, that's pretty cool. I think I can use that for this. Um, and it has a lot of value to them more than just the surface level value where a lot of the traditional assets sit They're They're less like mini tools. They're, they're more individual assets. Um, those have been really interesting to me personally. Gotcha. As we're kind of wrapping up here, you know, what, what do you, what exciting in the future does creative market have coming out that you can uh, talk about or, or hint at, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's a really good question. Um, so we are actively, we're actively trying to move forward and bring our products into the distant future. They're always needing to move into. And by that, I mean, for the longest time, it feels like maybe creative market to some people hasn't changed a bunch, but we've been iterating a lot Mm -hmm. over the past five years. I mean, I can look at screenshots of the site. And different features and stuff. I'm like, wow, we're really far away from that now. But we're looking to usher in greater changes. You can call it redesign efforts. You can you can call it whatever you want. Um, we're looking to make sure that it's well positioned, that it's accessible from every device, that it's competitive, that it's beautiful, that we can display these talented shop owners' work in a better way. Um, a lot of different things in that spirit. Um, I know I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, but uh, in, in Symphony, I, I, I hope that a year from now, people think and see like, wow, like they made a lot of big strides on top of other things that have already happened over the last two or three years. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, the, taking the time to chat with me. Where can people find you online and find out more about the creative market? Yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure, Jason. Thanks for the time. Um, they can find me online on Twitter, Jaron Lampson, or on my website, jaronlampson.com. They can find out everything they want to know about Creative Market. CreativeMarket.com, pro.creativemarket.com is our new product. Um, the team's writing and sharing a lot about our experiences building and working on this company um, on our medium publication, Building Creative Market. So a lot of different places. And hopefully they don't just read and go away. Hopefully they engage and talk to us. We, <laughs> we always want to be talking to people about what we're doing here. Cool. And we'll, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes too. So people can find it. Awesome. That sounds great, Jason. Awesome. Well, like I said, thank you again very much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, go ahead and hug some necks. <laughs> we'll do. Thanks. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you. You can find out more about Jaron on Twitter at Jaron Lampson. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA or over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code SOUTH15OFF at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. 
What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creative south. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.